Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name's Mike. Hi, Mike. Hey, I just dropped my pen. You sure did. Did you hear that? Right as I got started. Yeah, that's uh, that's what you call professional, <laughs> folks. We are nothing but. Uh, so, yeah, we're coming at you with another uh, new podcast here every uh, Sunday around 9 a.m. So welcome to the show if you're new and uh, if you're uh, old or a, an old listener, uh, something that's been around for us, hey, welcome back. I'm old. Yeah, well, I'm old too. Like, what makes you feel old? Nothing. I actually don't feel old. No? Mm-mm. Not at all? No. Well, that's because, you know, we've talked about in the, in the past that you were born at like about 48 years old, mental age. No, probably 43 I don't think you're quite 48. I think. 43. Oh, I love how my age is growing because you used to say I was born a 40 year old. Now well, 40 something is what I've always meant. Yeah. So I I'd think, say 44. Yeah, 44. So like you came out of the womb, you're like, okay, well, time to schedule the bills to be paid. And, I've uh, always been very organized. I liked things a certain way. Responsible. Very responsible. And boy, did your parents take advantage of that. Yes. Um, you were the only one that would do anything around the house because uh, your brother and sister tended to, you know, just do more kid stuff. B L A Z Y. You ain't gonna make, make your, your mama, mama cry. cry you lazy i remember we were teenagers and you came over to my house and there was like a to-do list with just my name on the list and i looked around i'm like is this like a thing is this fair you realize you're being taken advantage of here now i'm not to say you shouldn't do stuff for your parents that's absolutely within the realm of responsibilities well i guess as being a mature person i realized that my parents were working about 80 hours a week so I wanted to help them how I could. Yeah. And they worked um, in uh, like a retail uh, parallel kind of industry. And mm-hmm. so they were always busy around Christmas time and all the holidays and stuff. Yeah. So I just wanted to help out. Yeah. Well, that's because you're responsible. And uh, kind of like in real life, if you're at a job and you're the one that gets crap done, like things get on your desk more often than your of coworkers. Of course. Because people know you'll do it. And that, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of what happens. I'm sure a lot of people out there can identify and uh, you were like that at, yeah, as soon as you could walk, basically. Yeah. So that's all right. I don't mind doing my part. But enough talking about you. So, uh, well, actually, let's talk about you more. How's the rest of the week going? Well, I have a bedazzled microphone now. I was going to say, you got your bedazzled microphone and pink uh, little jewels with a white puffy thing on the top so you hear less pops and Yeah, tees. although I think I'm hearing some pops from us on the, <laughs> these maybe cheap Amazon microphone covers. We'll see. Yeah, well, you know what happens. You live and you learn. Well, yeah, exactly. But I took this uh, sparkly tape. It's like actual jewels, and I wrapped it around my microphone. I just it pained me to just have a black microphone. Yeah, yeah. If if you can get something, some spark some joy in your life, I'd say go for it. It's like my laptop that I do all my research on is like sparkly pink. It is. I'm not like a pink person per se. That would not fit you at all. Like if somebody met you, they wouldn't think, "Yeah, Allison loves pink." And you're no. not at all you're not that type of person i like like. colors yeah like for work i'm in full head to toe purple and people are always like oh is that your favorite color i'm like no (laughs) it's just what i'm assigned to wear yeah that's my color at work (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it looks really nice you look like a gem you know for like barbie's like Uh sister is that her sister gem i think is another entity okay because i i grew up on it my sister watched gem the tv show like gem truly outrageous i thought i was i'm gonna live no something sensatious gem yeah it was on in my house i don't she had like a star like painted on her eye yeah and she was like a rock star yeah i'm a rock star so basically that's what i'm going for yeah and um speaking of rock stars uh christmas is coming up we were looking at potentially taking our daughter to taylor swift Turns out that's like $1,000 just to get into the door. Well, it, she comes back with her heirs to her next October to Miami, which is a hike from us in Tampa. But I was like, our daughter loves Taylor Swift. She is obsessed. 
And what would you want to do to make a kid happy? You'd want to take them to like their favorite person in the world. And real quick, she did come to Tampa, but our kid didn't start liking Taylor Swift until Taylor came to Tampa. Yes. So great job, Taylor. You, you got her into her. Yeah. Into you. So I was thinking last night, I was taking a shower and listening to Taylor Swift. And I was like, oh, man, if we could ever make our daughter's world, this would be it. So I went online just to see if it was even possible. And I mean, just to get in the door, you're looking for the two of us, probably close to 2,500 minimum, minimum. So that's just kind of sad to me. Yeah. And uh, you were like asking me. Yeah, you ask questions in a different way. You're like, is it even r- remotely possible for us to go to this tour, like you and her? And I'm like, well, yeah, but we would just have to skip out on like a summer vacation or something. Like, yeah, I mean, it. really, with travel, it'd be three thousand dollars and probably dinners out and like, you know, it's it's always I was add like another thousand or two on top of anything just because it's always more like even going to chicago where we stay for free like it's it's still more than we think it's gonna be every time but it's if anybody out there has any ideas how you got to to see taylor swift for not a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars and yeah we're all ears well like you said the lucky ones who got through on Ticketmaster, and i was just wondering like what percentage of people did pay a normal price well i talked to reese our daughter and i was like why didn't you tell us about this like tour coming up and she's like i don't know i'm like i don't really think she cared about taylor swift at that point she, well she did when it went on sale that, oh. the miami one went on sale later oh okay so, yeah so i don't know i just think it's kind of sad i'm like so everybody in this arena is rich i mean who's got three thousand dollars just laying around yeah not to mention his face value was probably 250 or something so yeah like- i don't know it just kind of is disheartening to think like our daughter might never be able to see her favorite artists because we don't have thousands of dollars just laying around like the average u.s home income is like what 60 grand or something you know family income and it's like an average income is not able to afford that no and you know oh well what are you gonna do listen to cds and vinyl yeah it's just kind of sad to me maybe maybe we'll stalk her in miami or something i personally like to make my kids dreams come true but well taylor if you're listening um you know send us a yeah i'm sure you're a listener just throw us a couple tickets nosebleeds are fine that's (laughs) fine I prefer down lower. Okay. I mean, you do. Yeah. It is. And Travis Kelsey, if you're listening. Yeah, to. absolutely. Pass that message along to your All gal. Right. We've been chit-chatting long enough here. Let's do this. Yeah. Let's get into the real story. So this is a listener suggestion. This is from Suzanne. So thank you, Suzanne. And this is the, has various names. I'm going to call it the Brentwood Five. It is also oh. known as, have you heard of this? Yeah. I think a lot of people have suggested it. Oh, they? not that to my knowledge. Near knowledge. Okay. Yeah. I, I've, I've heard of this. And if you did suggest it, there was a lot of you. So okay. <laughs> yeah. So this is considered to be Calgary's worst mass murder. So on Monday night, April 14th, 2014, a house party was held in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, in celebration of something I had never heard of before. It's called Bermuda Shorts Day. And this was held at the University of Calgary. This is a tradition that was started in 1960 to basically celebrate the last day of the winter semester, looking forward to warmer weather, summertime, all that good stuff. Big thing in Canada, I'm sure. Yeah. So it was a small party held at a split-level house near the university that Brendan McCabe lived in with four of his friends. So there's five college-age students living in this house, and he's going to be hosting the party. So after Brendan rushed home from turning in his last paper of the year, he was getting ready to host the celebration and start the basically the kickoff of summer with his friends. But in his wildest dreams, he could have never imagined that this night would have ended with him sitting in an interrogation room with his hands and clothing coated with blood. He could have never imagined that following this party, he would be attending five of his friends' funerals. Oh, that sucks. And he'd invited these friends to his party because these were people he loved. And this night ended in devastation. 
So Brendan had invited 22-year-old Matthew DeGrude, who he described as his first and closest childhood friend. So this is a long-term friendship. This isn't somebody he just met at the university. Picture of your childhood best friend of all time. Mm -hmm. Somebody that you grew up with. Matthew was the son of a high-ranking Calgary police officer, and the two, um, Brendan and Matthew, had met in kindergarten. So they made all their milestones through life together to this point. So they had normal childhoods. They excelled through primary and secondary school. Matthew was described as a good person who was kind and compassionate. But about a month before, his personality started to change in an alarming way. And he began to isolate himself. He was spending more and more time in his room. He was becoming quiet and withdrawn. And his Facebook posts definitely showed this change in his personality. The, the posts were bizarre. They often included quotes from Megadeth lyrics, quotes from the Bible, ramblings, a lot of ramblings. Like, I'm not even going to read a lot of the text messages he sent to people. It's just like, yeah, it's train of, train of thought or whatever they say. It's Everywhere. Stream of conscience is mm-hmm. what they're saying. Just like, it's not Right. So, you know, there's a lot of texts that he shared with his parents. I'm not even going to read them because they make no sense whatsoever. It's it's from one end of the spectrum to the next. So, you know, people were seeing this on Facebook and he started basically posting like 20 times a day, which was something he had never done before. He posted about killing vampires by stabbing them in the heart by being the good Darth Vader. Matthew made 20 status updates, like I said. And, you know, that's alarming when somebody suddenly sees a change in you. Like, what's going on? Yeah, any personality change like quick like that? That's something definitely to worry about. You know, something's happening. So is it a mental health crisis? Are you taking drugs? Something's happening. Yes to both. So just hours before the party, he posted, Dread the fugitive mind. The world needs a hero. Matthew was a student at the University of Calgary. He had gotten his bachelor's degree in psychology with a minor in law and society. He was actually set to go back. He was accepted into the school of law. He was starting his law classes in the fall. Matthew lived with his mom and his dad, Linda and Doug, and his older sister. In 2008, when Matthew was in grade 11, he did begin using drugs. He started using cocaine and ecstasy. And it sounds like his friends were very mature and supportive because they actually went to his parents out of concern that their friend was using. I was hoping you weren't like saying supportive of uh, him using the drugs. No, opposite. (laughs) They were concerned for their friend's well-being and didn't consider themselves to be narcs. They considered themselves to be helping their friend. Very helpful. It is. So, of course, you know, being good parents, they notified, you know, they got him into counseling for about a year. And then the drug use problem was resolved. They did continue to monitor Matthew, make sure he wasn't slipping and relapsing. They checked his bank account activities to make sure, uh, you know, large sums of money weren't coming out. He had no criminal record. He had no previous history of mental illness. Because of Matthew's recent changes in behavior, his family did worry that maybe he was starting to use drugs again. They did speak to him about this. They asked him if he wanted to start seeing his therapist again. He declined. Matthew's dad actually considered actually taking him in to a psychiatrist, like a mental health facility. And probably what he was or what I'm thinking it was, was having him Baker acted where you get put on these like 72 hour holds. But Matthew was lucid at this point. So his dad didn't think that he would be able to, you know, 
involuntarily commit him, basically. Mm -hmm. So Matthew had worked at Safeway grocery stores as a produce clerk for four years. His assistant manager said he was an excellent employee. He was a nice guy, just basically an all-around good person. Just as others had, she noticed a big change in his personality in the previous one to two months. He seemed more paranoid, and some coworkers started to get text messages that were showing this paranoia. So it was his idea that his coworkers were talking badly about him behind his back. He was accusing them, or he felt like he was accused of them saying he was an alcoholic and a drug user, that he was abusive toward women, that he was mentally ill and racist. He also believed that his coworkers were conspiring against him and excluding him from activities they were doing together. And during his shift at Safeway on the night of the party, while he was there, he purchased three bulbs of garlic and a bottle of garlic vitamins. So he also withdrew $500 that night from an automated teller machine at the store. He left Safeway at 8.31 p.m. and he was still wearing his uniform. He left his car in the parking lot of the grocery store. So, of course, he's on his way to the party. So at 9 p.m., Brendan met Matthew at a nearby gas station since Matthew said he couldn't remember how to get to the house. Now, I don't know how much time he ever spent at this house. Maybe he hadn't spent much. Maybe it was normal that he couldn't get himself to the house. Yeah, you'd think somebody would mention that, being that they were best friends. You know, some some article or investigation would have found this out. And I think I used like 10 sources. So Brendan noticed that Matthew's behavior was extremely bizarre that night. So they were at the gas station together. Matthew handed him a clove of garlic and told him that he was going to need it for later. Brendan asked him if he was worried about vampires. You know, I think, too, when people don't know what's happening, they're probably just trying to make light of the situation and hope it's not something serious. Yeah. Well, you're hoping the best. And, you know, unfortunately, it sounds like the worst is about to happen. And, you know, Matthew's when they're talking about vampires, Matthew says, well, yeah, I'm concerned because they're real. That's what he told Brendan. Like, okay, you're no longer invited to the party. So he also gave Brendan a long knife with a white handle and a brown leather sheath that Brendan just assumed Matthew had been using for his job at Safeway. He did, you know, work in the produce department. Maybe part of his job was to prep vegetables and stuff. So during their six-minute walk back to the house, he spoke of conspiracy theories, hidden messages and songs, patterns in the Matrix movies, and made odd statements, including Obama was the Antichrist. (laughs) Matthew complained that his parents thought he was going insane and they wanted to get him help and go on medication. You know, part of this problem is the accessibility of these like whacked out theories that are available on like YouTube. I I think we all know some people that just like spend their nights watching these conspiracy theories and then just keep on going down these rabbit holes. Not saying no conspiracy is possible. Just, you know, these like really far-fetched things, Mm -hmm. you know, where like people are vampires and such for instance so you know obviously brendan was concerned but you're not knowing what to do so he also spoke about believing that the apocalypse apocalypse was coming at midnight several times he mentioned the blood moon turning bright red at midnight so in the meantime matthew's shift at safeway was actually scheduled until so he was working that day from 2 30 to 11 p.m And his supervisor is noticing he doesn't seem to be in the store, that she hasn't seen him. So she checked his time card and saw that he had signed himself out at 8.30 p.m. without telling anybody. At least he signed himself out instead of trying to work for free. Right. And he had never done this before. He'd never just left his shift early. So at 10.12 p.m., she texted Matthew and asked him if he was still at Safeway. 
guy. He responded, trust that I have never or I, I never hurt anyone. All will be known. And then he texts the number five. Oh, so scary. at 1015 p.m., Matthew's longtime friend Daniel came over to talk with him. Matthew was sitting on the couch by himself. And Daniel um, immediately noticed his odd behavior. It was hard to not notice. He is, was basically rambling. All this, The topic of conversation was going everywhere. Daniel took Matthew on a 30 to 45 minute walk, maybe thinking he would clear his head. That's nice. They went around the neighborhood and Matthew mentioned that the world would be ending at midnight. Daniel saw that Matthew had a box cutter in his work uniform. So when they came back to the house, they saw Matthew put on a pair of blue latex gloves, and he explained that it was to hide his fingerprints in case he had to kill someone at the end of the world. Daniel told him that if it was the end of the world, it wouldn't really matter if if his fingerprints were on anything. Yeah, unfortunately, um, common sense and facts and things don't really work with people that are so far gone. No. So Matthew kept the gloves on, and if anyone questioned him about it, he would just put his hands in his pockets. I mean, imagine standing at a party, and you see somebody standing there in blue latex gloves. And it's not a Halloween party. No. I mean... somebody that's getting ready for some bad things. So at one point, someone actually saw him washing his hands while wearing these gloves. When So this was the first time both Brendan and Daniel, and again, these are longtime friends of his, had ever seen their friend act this strangely. So Daniel told Brendan that Matthew was carrying this box cutter. Brendan approached Matthew and said, I want to just take that from you. I'll put it in my room. Matthew refused, and he said he needed it for his protection. So at the height of the party, there were about 30 guests in total. The neighbors say that it was a very low-key event. Somebody that was like shared the backyard said they didn't even know that they were having a party. It was, you know, they were respectful about people. It was a Monday, so they Uh, weren't getting out of hand. Canadians have uh, some good, yeah, they're generally good people. Yeah, I know. People (laughs) really rave about Canadian people. They're just like the nicest of people. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Sorry. You go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. I spent quite a bit of time in Toronto in my childhood because we lived in the Chicago area. It was a quick drive. So I I love Canada. So um, they were respectful. The group basically just had a few beers around the fire pit. The mood of the party was described as laid back and relaxed. Fun. So at about 1230 a.m., so it was Matthew's theory all along that the end of the world, the apocalypse was going to happen at midnight. The moon was going to suddenly turn red. So we've passed that point now. It's 1230. So people were gathered around the fire outside and a party guest saw that Matthew placed his cell phone on an axe blade and then put the axe blade in the fire. And, you know, this person was probably concerned. They took the phone out of the fire and Matthew grabbed it. He smashed it with the axe and threw it at the fence that was in the yard. He had no explanation about what he was doing and why. And man, if I'm at this party, I'm like, ooh, it's time to go. Like something's going on here. Yeah. So a friend who had known Matthew since elementary school offered him tea. It sounded like he had really nice friends. Like, hey, man, let me make you some tea. Yeah, and let's go for a walk. Let's try to get your mm-hmm. head clear. Like, these are people that care about him. Right. But Matthew declined. He said he did not want to get water intoxicated. He told him that he had drank a lot of water at work, getting ready for the apocalypse, but the moon hadn't turned red at midnight, so it was okay. Man, poor kid. I know. It's it's really, really sad. So just before 1 a.m., Brendan left the house with three guests. He went to pick up food from McDonald's, so it was four people leaving in a car. 20 minutes went by. He came home to absolute mass hysteria. 
So when he had left the house, inside the house was 27-year-old Lawrence Hong, and he was sleeping on a couch in the living room. Again, it's a Monday. These kids probably have things to do the next day. So sitting on the couch across was 23-year-old Josh Hunter, 22-year-old Jordan Segura, 23-year-old Caitlin or Katie Perez. Matthew was in the kitchen. He was talking with 21-year-old Zachariah Rathwell. They were discussing Zachariah's band, the fact that he he himself, Matthew, was heading to law school. They were just conversing in the kitchen. Upstairs in the bedroom was Terry Lewis. This person lived in the house. They were trying to fall asleep. No one else was inside the house. Everyone else was just gathered in, in the yard around the fire pits. So while Matthew was in the kitchen, he was overcome with the feeling that he had to kill Zachariah before Zachariah killed him. Zachariah was a first-year student at the Alberta College of Art and Design. He was also a member of a popular local band, Zachariah and the Prophets. Matthew said that he and Zachariah had some sort of disagreement over Buddhism. And when I say a disagreement, they were literally just calmly talking in the kitchen. Nothing was escalating. There was no fighting happening. Nothing like that. So just like seeing things differently. Mm -hmm. So Matthew grabbed a chef knife with an eight inch blade that he had found in the kitchen knife block. It was just sitting there on one of the, the shelves. He just in a blink of an eye began to stab Zachariah. And by this time, there were about 20 guests present, but only a handful in the house. So before Josh, Jordan, and Caitlin, so this is the group that's sitting on the couch across from Lawrence Hong, who's sleeping, before they could even react to what is happening in the kitchen near them, they were being attacked. Well, you're sitting at a party. Picture you're sitting at a party and whatever, just chatting with people and there's some music going on in the background. It sounds like pretty mild mannered place or whatever. And like you, you, the the sound of somebody stabbing somebody doesn't make any sound. You know, it's just kind of like cutting. Unfortunately, you know, I don't want to get too graphic, but it's just you look over and all of a sudden, you know, I'm sure that you know Zachariah was probably like, "What do you, what are you doing, man?" Or whatever. If he even had a chance to know what was happening. Yeah, and it's just like, ah, uh, you know, like what is what is he saying? Oh, yeah, what? Stop or whatever, you know. And then you're like, huh? What's the disagreement? And by that time, he's probably been stabbed five or six times, right? You know? And it's like, and then by the time he, you're sitting there like there's no way he's stabbing him right now right you know you don't, don't expect to see that yeah they're joking around or whatever it is and then by that time he's already but to you with like a knife right so this is the situation there it, it takes your brain a moment to register what is happening and react to it and they didn't even have that moment because our brains are so used to just you know habits just mm-hmm. think you were used to things your brain is constantly trying to just make normal things happen all the time so it doesn't have to like go outside the box right. this is so far outside the box mm-hmm. it's uh, incredible so matthew later described what he was doing as that he began killing them from left to right as quickly as i could everything happened in such a frenzy that none of the victims had any time to react or escape After Zachariah was stabbed in the kitchen, Josh and Jordan were stabbed on or near the couch where they had been sitting. So he said he went from left to right. So it sounds to me that Katie was on the the right. So Katie actually was able to get up and start running. She was stabbed in the dining room as she was trying to escape. As Matthew chased her, he said, I'm sorry, I have to do this as he stabbed her. Lawrence was asleep on the couch. He was completely unaware of what was happening when he was stabbed. He noticed that Zachariah hadn't died in the kitchen. When I say he, Matthew, he hadn't noticed, or he had noticed that Zachariah was still alive. He said he went back to hunt him down. 
Zachariah was stabbed seven times, Josh was stabbed six, Jordan once, Caitlin four times, and Lawrence four times. After Josh was stabbed, he actually ran out the front door and across the front lawn. And this is as Brendan and his friends are rolling back up from McDonald's. This is the scene they're being met with. So as they're pulling in, they hear Katie screaming from inside the house. They see Josh running out of the front door and he is yelling that Matthew has a knife. So Matthew, then they're seeing is following closely behind Josh. (laughs) So what Josh, do you do in this scenario? You know, like it's unless you have like a gun or a bat, like you're basically you just got to run too. Mm-hmm. Of course, That's you're crazy. defenseless. I mean, or or you, as a lifelong friend, you're probably like, hey Matthew, uh, you know, you're probably thinking I can talk him down, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, but it's impossible. Right. So Josh collapsed to the ground. They saw that Matthew's hands were coated in blood. Brendan chased after Matthew, which was very brave to do. Who turned to him and said, "It's the night of the long knives." He handed the knife to Brendan and ran off. A short distance later, Brendan caught up with him, shoved him against a parked truck. Because, of course, he's probably worried, what else is he going to do? Yeah. So Matthew wiped his bloody hands on Brendan and told him that they were now blood brothers. He then reached into his pocket for the box cutter that he had brought from work and told Brendan, back off or you're next. So when Brendan got back to the house, Josh was clinging to life in the front yard. Three 911 calls came in between 121 and 123 a.m. Now we're in the early morning hours of Tuesday, April 15th. When police arrived, they were met by a horrid scene. There was a tremendous amount of blood and carnage. They entered through the front door. They found panic throughout the main floor. And of course, first they're walking by Josh, collapsed in the front yard. Now they're entering the house. They see that Jordan and Zachariah were lying head to head on the floor, motionless. They were surrounded by a large pool of blood. People were attending to them, but it was too late. They were already gone. And Lawrence was found lying in the fetal position on the couch because he had been sleeping there. Yep, just sleeping and then getting stabbed over and over again. And a man sat applying pressure to a wound on his neck. It was also too late for him. Oh, so sad. Sorry. No, don't be sorry. Don't ever say sorry. This is a horrible situation because you picture your friends and people you love and just sitting there and having a great time. People that just came into this place just to enjoy some something silly like bermuda short day which sounds like a great time just something to celebrate and get together with friends and an excuse to have a get together yeah and then the evening ends with every single person's life being changed not to mention all their families you know we we talk about this this is their worst life day in, in their entire lives right because their loved one is gone yeah and that's why you know we don't take it lightly when we tell these stories because you know, their families are still living with this grief and they will be forever. It's something that will never go away. Yeah. So at 1.34 a.m., EMS confirmed that Jordan, Zachariah, and Lawrence were all deceased. At 1.39 a.m., Katie was transferred to the hospital. She was pronounced dead at 3. And Josh was transferred at 1.44. Sorry. I don't know. It's, you know, all these kids, they're, they're all going to college too, right? So, you know, they're they're trying to get educated and probably had you know, their their mindset on their careers ahead of them, you know, just like anybody does, whatever it is. 
you're thinking about the future. You're not thinking I'm going to be stabbed to death by somebody who's clearly lost their mind. Like yeah. Matthew obviously is a psychopath, but you know, his, his brain is gone. Yeah. You know, I, I like basically feel like he wasn't him. It's like somebody else stepped into his body. Well, it, and unfortunately <laughs> that is who he is. You know, his, his brain got ruined somewhere along the line, whether well, it was in, you know, at birth or whatever, but he was always, he was always like a, a regular person, right? Not saying. Oh regular. yeah, no, he was always considered to be a good, kind, hardworking, compassionate person. Like, I that's why I say this isn't him. Yeah, and it's it's an illness of the mind. That's what mental illness is. Right, and of course, you know, my <laughs> mind goes to where did it? Yeah, you know, where did the switch flip? And well, schizophrenia normally starts in the teenage years. Yeah, I forgot what the ages are, but it's like nineteen to twenty something, and that's why I say it's so scary because you hear these stories. Like you think your kids, like, oh, they're doing so well in school, they're going off to college, like, oh, this is great, this is what their future is, what what's going to be like, and then all of a sudden you start getting these strange phone calls. That's what I hear. Like their kids went off to college, they'd start calling home from college, and the conversation was like. Oh my gosh, what's going on? Yeah, we've had other other stories like yeah, that. Yeah, and like, it's just so sad. Uh, so yeah. Josh was pronounced dead at two seventeen a.m. So now we have five deceased victims from this party. So at one thirty a.m., Matthew was found a short distance away near the intersection of Brentwood Boulevard and Charleswood Drive. When police first found him, he was running around frantically. It looked to them that he had the appearance of trying to get away from someone. He was found with garlic cloves stuffed into his clothing. He told police that it was to keep the zombies away. So obviously we're we're changing our theories because it was about vampires. Now it's about zombies. Well, and also you're, we're trying to make sense of the situation and there right. is none. You so he's going to say it's Frankenstein or, you know, leprechauns. It's It doesn't matter. He's, yeah. he's gone. And he told the police that he was an alien. He continuously yelled, I don't know what's happening. It's scary for him, too, mm-hmm. I, I guess. You know, <laughs> I mean, you go from just being a, a standard person that realizes killing is bad to somebody that, like, says, I need to kill people. Tonight. Right. And Matthew was not a large statured person. He weighed about 140 pounds, yet it took the weight of three police officers and a 90 pound police dog to subdue him. In this process, he was bitten pretty badly by the dog, um, I believe on his arm. He was transferred to Rocky View Hospital for treatments. The dog's handler said that Matthew seemed to be experiencing no pain whatsoever. And you could see as they were loading him into the ambulance, he had blood like pouring down his arm. So you have to assume he was on some drugs. Like He he was not ever known to be taking drugs at this point. No drugs, no alcohol. Like something that would pop into my head would be like you hear about PCP or something like that where you know it's like a superpower and they're like you can shoot the piece people on these drugs and they don't even flinch you know because there's so much whatever adrenaline i don't know i'm not an expert in the area yet but um it's, didn't they say spice too, like a superhuman type of strength where people were like eating people's faces yeah yeah it's crazy i don't know so um you know he basically described matthew of, of like being like the incredible hulk he was feeling no pain it was extremely hard to subdue him. So when he was taken into custody, he told officers that he was killing Medusas and werewolves. He told police that he tried to be merciful as he stabbed his victims. He told them, I aimed for the heart. They put up a struggle, which made it hard. But so you know, it wasn't sadistic or anything. I did not enjoy killing at all. It's like at this point, sorry to catch up. As a police officer, you're like, we're not getting anything out of this kid. Like, he's just talking nonsense. 
I mean, they're not, I'm sure, responding to these statements. Yeah. There's nothing to say. Like, okay. And he told them that I said sorry, but the son of God was controlling me. And there was a whole slew of things he was saying to officers and EMS in the ambulance. I am not including them because it was just rambling nonsense. Yeah. Before the stabbing rampage, Matthew sent nonsensical texts to his parents. His parents believed from these texts that he was going to harm himself. That was the nature of the texts they were receiving. They never in their wildest dreams thought he was at risk for harming anyone else. No, obviously they would have called and, you know, they're they worried about their own kid, but not thinking he would go after other people. Right. So at the time they were receiving this text, they were alarmed. Doug actually left the house in search of their son while Susan called the police. It was too late. This all went down and they weren't able to stop anything. So Doug was unable to find his son in time. What time did they contact the police? Do you know? Uh, his parents? Yeah. I'm not entirely sure. And it, I guess it depends what time they got the texts and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just curious on the timeline. And well, we know that at 1231 a.m., he smashed his cell phone with the axe. So before so that. It was it was it had to have been before that because mm. his, his phone was destroyed after midnight. Yeah. So he, after Doug learned of what happened and what his son had done, he said, we will never recover from this. We hope that someday we'll, we will have answers as to why this happened. So despite Matthew's family worrying that he was at risk for hurting himself, again, they never thought him capable of hurting anyone else. Matthew was described as someone who had friends at heart, and I can you know relate to this. He was a homebody. He was perfectly happy having just a quiet life. He didn't need to go and like live it big at loud, loud parties and stuff. So he was a homebody, but he had friends. He was social. Obviously, these people are with him at the party. He has friends. So he was successful. He was always described as gentle before this night. So there were no indications whatsoever that Matthew was under the influence of drugs or alcohol. At the party, he was drinking soda. Um, Matthew was charged with five counts of first-degree murder. He pleaded not guilty. He was transferred to the Southern Alberta Forensic Psychiatry Center. Here, he would undergo assessment of his mental status to see if he even had the ability to stand trial, you know, if you're, like, fit to stand trial. And this was the worst killing in Calgary history. So after the killings, Alberto Choi, who was the director of forensic psychology at this hospital of Alberta Hospital Edmonton, he interviewed Matthew and Matthew told Choi that a couple of weeks earlier, he started to believe that he was the sun god and that the war between the Illuminati, werewolves and vampires was going to happen and it was going to happen on this night. That's a big war. I wouldn't want to be there for that. <clears throat> so Matthew said he also heard a male voice who he believed to be the devil who was telling him, kill them before they get you. And that's what he kept saying was happening in the kitchen while he was talking to Zachariah. It was his belief that he needed to kill Zachariah before Zachariah killed him. Yeah, there's no common sense around this. You can't make make any sense of the situation whatsoever. It's just something that took over his brain. And a lot of times we hear about you know, the schizophrenics or that's just the voices. Mm-hmm. And thank God we can't know how that feels. He said he was hearing the voice, but he couldn't converse with it. And the voice warned him and directed him about the others. Because he believed that the world was ending, he thought that he was acting in self-defense. He did not understand when it was happening that it was morally wrong what he was doing. Greg Paris, who was Katie's father, spoke before the trial and said, The priority for us during the trial is to ensure that our loved ones will be given the full and just attention that they deserve. 
All we ask is that you remember how they lived with purpose, with life, with goodness and love for their friends and family. There is no such thing as a new normal that some people talk about. There is only existing, surviving, and a series of bittersweet events going forward in our families' lives, such as graduations, weddings, and grandchildren. These milestones will be happy and they will be sad because, and this is me speaking, because their their child will no longer be part of these events, these life-moving events that are happening. Their child will never exist beyond 20-something years old. And it's just so tragic that you see this future. They're all in that point in their lives where it's like, this is when life truly starts. You know, you're going off on your own. You're getting your independence, your career. And then all of a sudden, one horrific night, it's all just taken away. Yeah, tragic. So it's just so sad. So the court determined that Matthew was not criminally responsible for the stabbing deaths after it had been determined that he was living with undiagnosed schizophrenia at the time of the murders. It was determined that he was delusional. He did not understand that his actions were wrong. He has been living in a supervised group home for nine years and a June 2023 ruling from Alberta's highest court indicated that he would remain confined there at that point. That was what was sad. In a statement from Matthew that was read by his lawyer, he said that he is now aware that he did something wrong. They may not care that I was schizophrenic. The act of killing five innocent people and putting their families through that agony is inconscious, conscious, conscionable, unconscionable unconscionable yes thank you he said i am aware that i did something very wrong and hope that they can understand that i am very sorry for what has happened and zachariah's mom who is rhonda lee rathwell she feels that if he was truly sorry and remorseful and he never wants to risk doing it again she feels he should voluntarily commit himself to be institutionalized or stay in a hospital forever to be sure that something this horrific doesn't ever happen again. As sad as it, sad as it, as it is, yeah, I think that's the way to go. Because, yeah, as we all know, you know, he's probably on medication and finally able to maybe you know make some sense of, of regular life like a lot of us. And, you know, there's always that risk that he's going to think that he's cured and then stop taking the medications. Right. That is the biggest risk, I think, with um, a lot of mental illness is, you start to believe that you no longer need those medications. And unfortunately, you do. Because again, it's an illness of the mind and the medications are keeping the mind from being ill. So the Alberta Court of Appeal dismissed an appeal launched by Matthew DeGrude and upheld the 2022 decision by Alberta's Criminal Code Review Board that determined he still poses a significant safety risk. Matthew had sought absolute discharge, which would allow him to be free from a review board's supervision or a conditional discharge that would allow him to be home living with his family in Calgary while still being monitored. So he wants either complete freedom or partial. So every year, the board reviews Matthew's case to determine if and when he can safely transition back into the community. In November of 2023, which is this month while we're presenting this, during an annual hearing before the Criminal Code Review Board, Matthew's psychiatrist, which is Dr. Manua, said that Matthew had several two-week unescorted passes from the group home over the last year to visit his family. There had been no incidents on those visits. He voiced that he is low risk to reoffend, but if he does have another episode, other factors can can come into play with a complex forensic patient such as Matthew. He indicated that Matthew was prone to episodes of anxiety 
And he said in many ways, he has not really opened up to his medical team. He described his engagement with the treatment team as superficial. He doesn't necessarily like to discuss what's happening in his inner world. Um, I mean, I would have to say that that's going to be part of the situation. If you want to get out, you need to start saying what's in your head. You have to because nobody can help you unless you do. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's I was watching Queer Eye and Tan, who he was saying that Americans and I know not all of our listens, listeners are from America, but he says, oh, you're American happy. We're like in America, people will be like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. And deep down, there's like a lot going on under the surface. We like to pretend that we're happy. A lot of people, despite the country you live in, Matthew lives in Canada, we like to put up a front that everything's good when it's not. So it's not just America. I think it's like a lot of people. And maybe, I guess, you know, other other areas where they're like Costa Rica, you know, Pura Vida, that's like, you know, different. But I just, I, you know, I think it's important to be honest with the people you're close with. Obviously, again, if you're passing someone in the hallway of work and they ask you, how are you? You're not going to open up to a stranger and say, oh, well, actually, this, that and the other is happening. I'm having a really hard time mentally. <laughs> You're going to say, I'm good. Thanks. Right, because they don't really care either. So, But these are Matthew's doctors. Yeah. They are there to help him. They have to. They're the only people that can help him. So unfortunately, he's keeping a lot under lock and key still. So how much can you actually help somebody if they're not telling you what they're going through mentally? Can't. So at the end of the hearing, Matthew has uh, was given the opportunity to address the board and the families of the victims. He said that his pro- this process is never easy because he has to revisit the events of 2014 and the pain it causes. But he promised to commit himself to remaining well. He said, I want to make it clear today that I have no desire to inflict any more pain on the victim's families. And I'm very sorry if my appeals have added to their suffering. Because, of course, every time something like this comes up, they all have to revisit this pain and trauma. So Brendan McCabe, who was uh, the, the guy that was hosting the party, he said that he's slowly learning that he cannot carry the guilt for the symptoms that he failed to notice during his interactions with Matthew. He um, said that, you know, he had these feelings of failure, that he didn't help his friend that was in need leading up to the mental breakdown. He realizes that without progressive change in our mental health care attitudes and services, the same stigmas and failing systems which led to the death of his five friends will continue. Preventing those in need from accessing adequate care will allow for similar tragedies to occur. Brendan feels that the stigma is part of what stopped those close to Matthew from identifying his illness in the first place, because no one ever wants to believe that their loved one is unwell. Well, and you can also ask them, like, you know, if they would have been like, Matthew, is everything okay with you? He'd be like, yeah, totally fine. Never felt better in my life. And then you're like, okay. And then it's like, you want to kind of just be like, okay, he's fine. You know, he'll of figure it out. Of course you do. You don't want to believe that your son has schizophrenia. So it it all kind of happened very quickly because the big thing is one month before this happened is when they all started seeing these troubling things. So hopefully a story like this, you know, the more people that hear it, if you identify somebody in your own life where it's like, wow, things have changed, then yes. be on the lookout, maybe call a mental health professional, get them involved. Absolutely. So victim impact statements were read and Katie's dad, Greg Paris, spoke and indicated that he has been suffering from panic attacks. He himself has been seeking grief counseling to deal with his daughter's death. 
He said, my daughter Katie is dead. Please have sympathy for the families who lost their children and do not try to tack onto their grief with this review process. We will fight back for our children who can no longer speak for themselves. Kelly Hunter, who is the mom of Josh Hunter, said that not one day goes by that she wishes that it wasn't it was her who died instead of her son. It breaks my heart over and over that he can't be here. Those of us who are left here to flounder in our heartache and our thoughts of what could have been, we are also the victims. So the board will release its decision at a later date in terms of what is going to happen with Matthew. Jordan Segura's mom, um, she said that her son was affectionately known as Baby until he was three years old, and every day he did nice things for others. He gave away his kindness for free. Jordan's brother, Julian, said that his brother was a mentor and a leader. He lit up the room with his laughter and a smile. He was a religious studies student at the University of Calgary. Lawrence Hong's parents and brother wore t-shirts with his picture on the front. At the time of his death, he was one week away from his 28th birthday. He was described as a foodie, a traveler, and a volunteer. He volunteered with the Calgary Folk Music Festival and Fairy Tales Film Festival. He had a pure heart and aspirations of one day becoming a city builder. Lawrence was an openly gay man who was there to help others that struggled with the difficulties of coming out. He wanted to make those people feel like they belong where they are. Katie Paris's older sister described her as a strong-willed and stubborn person, someone who never gave up to be her best self. She had previously attended Mount Royal University for English after she graduated from Bishop Carroll High School. She worked as a hostess in a downtown restaurant. I guess her personality was like so outstanding that the person at the restaurant like pulled her in and said, hey, you want a job? Yeah. Because she was so lively and would be such a great like face to the restaurant. Mm-hmm. So the owner of this restaurant described her as just a really great Calgary kid. She was an accomplished ballerina. She was genuine. She was confident. Her parents don't want Katie to be forgotten. And they want those who don't know her to know who she was as a person. So Josh Hunter's sister spoke about how lucky she was to have the big brother she had. Josh's mom said that she misses the daily things and remembers how her son was such a great hugger. He was an accounting major at the University of Calgary's Haskane School of Business, and he was a fellow member of Zachariah and the Prophets with Zachariah. He was a passion. He was a passionate musician. He was the drummer for the band. I guess he started playing the drums when he was ten. His dad had taken him to a Rush concert. He saw the concert. He was inspired. He wanted to begin playing the drums at that point. Yeah, good inspiration. Yeah, and you never know what's going to spark like your a future hobby. Yeah. So something as simple as going to a concert turned him into a drummer. One of the best drummers of all time. And he was a great drummer too. So his dad said that they cherished every moment that they had with their son. The only way they can honor him is to be strong themselves and do good things. Zach's mom described her son as witty and chatty. He was determined and fair. He was loving and caring. She says that he will be remembered for the life that he lived. He was a talented musician. He was an athlete and an artist. He had a zest for life and for people. So during the November hearing, Matthew's schizophrenia was said to be in complete remission. It's requiring two medications to keep him in remission. Matthew continues to await the decision regarding his absolute discharge. He's still confined to this group home. So that's where we stand today. Man, that's tough. I mean, you know, as an outsider, it's so easy to say like this and this. But, you know, as the the family members, you know, victims of the family members or whatever, it's like, 
They're you, living you with hell every day. Yeah, and this they're going to see Matthew go free at some point because, like Canada's right now, they're kind of pretty liberal. Um, you know, as far as, far as you know, politics goes, so you know they're going to try to probably get Matthew back into society. And you know, the, I, I can't go against that either because you know if his the the reason that all this happened is in remission, then you know maybe give him an opportunity. But at the same time, I also definitely feel for the victims' families mm-hmm. where I never want this guy to see the light of day because he took our light. Right. He took their light. And granted, it wasn't Matthew at the time that it was, these though. stabbings happened. It was him. In his mind, it wasn't. His purity. Yeah. Ex- well, it was, though, because like it's, it's not his fault, right? It's not his fault, but it is him. He was his hands that did this. Yeah. And I understand what you're saying. And I can understand that the families probably think, I don't want anyone else in the world to deal with the hell we're living with because he might stop taking his medications and he might think there's werewolves out there again and he might kill again. Yeah. He might jump on a flight to some and just be like all right well now they can't find me and then it's like okay he goes to whatever arizona and then you can't find him because he's like living on the streets and then all of a sudden he kills somebody like well, that's and possible look at wh- what we're living in these days with these mass shootings that happen so often it's like we're numb to it yeah like if sure can you guarantee well no you can't guarantee but close to guarantee that he probably won't harm anybody as long as he stays on his meds and as long as the schizophrenia is in remission yeah he'll, he'll probably be fine but mm-hmm. is it worth that risk you know, I mean, I know he has a life and I know, you know, we can't say what lives can do, but, I, but we kind of can. So it's just, I don't know. And, man. you know, his parents are living through hell as well, because obviously, can you imagine knowing that your son wiped out the lives of five young people? Yeah. How do you live with that? I mean, at the very least, you got to make sure this kid opens up and uh, not kid. I don't know. how. That's what now, that's but. what scares me is that he's not being fully open with his medical care team. And again, when you have an illness of the mind, how do you treat it if you're not privy to what's happening in the mind? Yeah, he's got to be 100% open and he has to follow every single rule as far as I'm concerned. And then maybe get a sniff of the outside. You know, it's it's. I don't know. It's tough. He's going to be dangerous if he doesn't take his medication. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that's tough. So so sorry for the lives that were lost because yeah. of this horrible mental illness. It's very sad. Yeah. So you know, it's the story is really to remember the five victims that were lost on this horrific night. Yeah. So thank you all for listening. Yeah, we appreciate it. And if you like what you heard, uh, there's opportunity to listen to even more through Patreon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're not lying, Mike. I'm not lying. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that to you. You wouldn't. So if you like what you heard, go ahead and the show notes and go head over to Patreon. Uh, start for as little as five bucks. Get access to like uh, between 15 and 33 episodes. I think it's like 34. 34 And then episodes. another one will come out this coming Wednesday. Yep. And we want to say welcome to the Crime and Coffee Couple Club to Erica, Brittany, Enya, Mary, Beth, and Hannah. All lovely, lovely human beings. And like we we talk you up quite a bit. We gas you up, as the kids say. Gas you up. Yeah, we gas you up up there. So Sounds like a 50s saying. Uh, it's just kind of gassing, like putting gas on the fire, being like, you're awesome. You did okay. a good job. Yeah. I think back to the 50s when they're like, I'm gassed. <laughs> I'm gassed. <laughs> hey, you're like, isn't that like jazzed? Like, I'm excited. I think so. That guy's a real card. <laughs> like that, that kind of stuff. So, hey, thank you so much for listening. We, we appreciate, appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you for being here today and listening to our story. And if you like what you heard, please tell a friend. If you feel inclined, we would love a five star review. And until next time, bye. bye.